This episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by Unreal Engine. Unreal Online Learning is a free learning platform that offers hands-on video courses and guided learning paths. For more than two decades, Unreal Engine has evolved to become the most advanced real-time 3D creation tool for photoreal visuals and immersive experiences. Looking to learn more? You can find Unreal Engine at edcuration.com. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. Mark Mathias is a career information technology executive who has lived and worked all over the world. He is the founder and the president of Remarkable Steam, which is Connecticut's leader in promoting innovation, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. But before hearing all about Remarkable Steam, I just wanted to know a little bit about Mark's history with and passion for education. I have a kind of a family history in education. My uh, father was a college professor. My mother worked at a university. Uh, my stepmother was a college professor. And I did corporate training for a number of years for large computer companies. And, uh, and then when I moved to this town here in, in Connecticut, Westport, um, my wife and I wanted to get involved with the community. And, and so I said, well, I've got a background in education. Why not run for the Board of Education? Mark won a seat on the school board and served four four-year terms. That's 16 years for the Right Brainers listening. Before retiring about two years ago, and while he was on the Board of Education, Mark and his two children attended the World Maker Fair in New York. I had a couple of brothers in California that had told me about an event in California called a Maker Fair. And they said, Mark, you'd love to be there and you see it. You should fly out to California and be part of this event. And I said, I'm not going to fly to California for this. Um, but then one came to New York. And so I took my two kids there. They were like seven and 14 at the time. And they had so much fun and they didn't know they were learning. I don't know about you, but I've never been to a maker's fair. I didn't really have a clear picture. What happens at a maker's fair? They had somebody that had made a, a, a bicycle with a jet engine on it. They had a, um, a swing set that had sprinklers on it where when you it was swinging, it would not sprinkle you. It would just, you know, turn the, the sprinklers on and off. Um, just all these really fun, crazy things and I, I said to myself, you know, there's so many kids here in Connecticut that will never make it to this event in New York. We should bring it to Connecticut. That's when Mark and a couple of friends decided to found Remarkable Steam as the host and organizer of Connecticut's Makers Fair. Maker Fair Connecticut is now the Northeast's largest and most impactful creativity and innovation event. This event infuses steam through the entire community while also partnering with local schools. And uh, we thought if we can get, you know, a lot of these kids just can, can come to this event for free and experience this fun, uh, this craziness, that it would be good for them just fun, but also academically. And so we said, if we can get 800 people to show up, that was our bar. That's what we set the bar. If we can get 800 people to, to show up, that's going to be our success. And we put it together in about six months, and we ended up having 2,200 people show up for that first event. And we decided, well, I guess if we're going to do this again. We should really start 
you know, it, our, create our own legal entity. And so we created Remarkable Steam to uh, primarily be the producer of what was originally known as the Westport Mini Maker Fair and has since grown to be now Maker Fair Connecticut. The Maker's Fair has continued to attract more people each year, minus 2020, which we'd all like to simply erase. And not only does it provide an opportunity for artisans and innovators to display and network, it's having a lasting impact on the economy in Westport. Entrepreneurs have started to find each other that it, entrepreneurs that started companies have started to find investors and manufacturers and marketing firms and distributors. And so we started off as being kind of this fun event. And now we're having a positive impact in numerous areas in our economy. So just out of curiosity, how hard is it to host a maker's fair? Like, did it become your full-time job then all of a sudden? Because it sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It takes us about six months to produce one. Up until now, it's been a free event. So everything we have to pay for, all the facilities, the tents, the electrical you know, generators, the police and fire protection, the marketing, the insurance, all that kind of stuff has to be paid for. And uh, so one of my primary jobs is to raise the money to pay for the event. We also have a team of about 50 members, what we call the, or, the Maker Fair Organizing Committee. And of that 50 people, uh, about 12 of us would be like the core that I'd, I'd say, and really about four people do most of the work. But a lot of that is getting the word out. The, the real value is all of what we call makers or in, in uh, more of a conference uh, parlance, the exhibitors. You know, we have to find them. We have to get on their schedule. We have to figure out where are they going to be? Um, some of them have done things that are dangerous, like they have flames or they have noise or they're throwing things. And we have to make sure that those are all done safely. Mark proceeded to tell me about the mountain of bureaucracy inherent with such a circus of dangerous feats. We have these things called marshmallow shooters. You take PVC pipe, you cut them up, you put them together, and then you put a miniature marshmallow in the thing and you blow it. Okay, kind of like a little blow gun. Uh, we found that our insurance company would not insure for these mini marshmallow, these marshmallow shooters, because they were projectiles. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, it's lots of details that when people just show up to a festival or an event like this that are all taken care of that they never see. And it's fun. It's exciting. But it's, there's a lot of stuff that we have to, to make sure that we, we have food trucks, toilets, yeah. um, you know, all those kinds of things. They have to be in a good place for people to actually have a good experience. I'm brimming with questions. You're just reminding me of my son's, one of his middle school projects, he created a potato cannon and he was the hit of the neighborhood and he ended up selling it on Craigslist or somewhere for a lot of money. Like people wanted this potato cannon. It was amazing. And um, so I'm curious, who are these makers? Are they people who have invented a thing and they want to sell the thing or who are they? It's a lot of people, uh, and we really try and encourage a broad spectrum. We typically have a section for what is typically called crafts, you know, people who have made things, whether it be uh, they, they turn something on the lathe and make it out of wood, or they, you know, photography or something like that. But we're not a craft fair or a craft show. What we like are people who um, we've had a number, we have a lot of students that will bring a project. They say, I built this project in my science class. We love having kids that come just to show off what they've done in school. And teachers like that too, because 
in in most schools, when you do something, you here's an assignment, you do the project, you turn it in, you get a grade, you move on to the next thing. What we're allowing is teachers and the students to work on a project that then they can do it and then they can showcase it to the public. We had one student here in um, in Connecticut that made a collapsible bow, like a bow and arrow. And he made it out of PVC pipe and hinges and things like that. And it was not a, even associated with this school. Uh, we have one guy, he called himself the concrete cowboy and he makes concrete furniture. A lot of it is people said, would say, I didn't know that you could do that. Yeah. All right. Or, or, or why would you do that? And what I loved about this is people said, because it sounded like fun. One of the beautiful things about a maker's fair, beyond just encouraging experimentation and creativity, is the way in which it fosters and reinforces that growth mindset that we educators are talking about a lot these days. One of the lessons that we like people to learn is that you fail a lot, is that every project that might be a finished project has multiple steps along the way. And especially if it's not something that's prescribed, like in a classroom, you go, here's the rubric, you have to do it this way. And pretty much every kid's result is the same. We like it when people try something that they don't know if they can do. They stumble along the way. They try something that doesn't work. They have to try something else. And what's the beauty of it is this is a human interaction. People that attend the event get to talk to people who did these things. And they and the person said, you know, the attendee says, wow, that looks pretty fun. And the guy behind the, the, the table says, yeah, that took me 18 months to make that. And the person says, really? He said, yeah, this is the 12th iteration. And maybe I'm not even done yet. Okay. Yeah. Now that I'm at the 12th iteration, I have ideas for five more things. Is that we like people to see that failure is part of a problem or challenges are part of the creative process. I find that a lot of people, adults and youth, the as soon as they run into a roadblock, they stop. They say this can't be done or I can't do it. And we like them to meet people that have been in that exact situation that have said, this is my 12th iteration of this. Mark had so many examples of this characteristic the stick-to-itiveness and growth mindset of innovators, inventors, and creators. These are the kinds of models we really want to provide for our students. I feel like Mark and I could have talked all day. I'll tell you another one. We had a guy that put a jet engine on a go-kart, and he built this jet engine in his garage, which is kind of a dangerous thing in and of itself. And of course, it's noisy as all get out. I mean, jet engines are not known for being quiet. But the idea was this was a project that he had evolved over years for this young, young man. He had to build the go-kart. Then he had to build the jet engine. Then he had to get him to work together. He had to have a gas pedal. And he had to have good brakes. He had to have fuel for it. And all of these things is not something you buy on Amazon. And so we, they, they, we like to use these events as inspiration for youth to see things that they've never seen before. Uh, I'll give you another example. We, a couple of years ago, we had the American Welding Society bring a tractor trailer that had virtual reality welding in it. So you'd put on the VR goggles, you'd hold this welding stick, and then you would do things and it would demonstrate to you how to do uh, arc welding, but there was no smoke, there was no metal slag falling on your feet. And the idea is to encourage people to consider a career in welding. This is workforce development. Right? Yeah, We're getting people interested in being part of perhaps a career 
that they've never seen before. Since Mark mentioned workforce development, I just want to sidebar a minute here. Have you noticed that construction projects seem to stand unfinished for months and that it takes weeks to schedule a home repair of any kind? This is happening nationwide. According to a new analysis by People Ready's Skilled Trades Division, there were 388,345 jobs posted for skilled trades-related workers between May and June of 2021 and a 50% increase from pre-pandemic levels, with most positions remaining unfilled for an average of 24 days. The skilled trade industry was one of the few industries to experience growth every single month throughout the pandemic, but the demand for workers is growing at a much faster rate. Trades workers are retiring by the thousands, and those positions are remaining unfilled. Graduates just aren't choosing skilled trades as professions. As an example of this, the boat company that makes submarines for the U.S. government approached Mark about presenting at the Maker's Fair. And I said, well, why are you here? I said, are you looking to get people to work for you? I said, yeah. I said, are you targeting like college students? I said, no, we're targeting middle school students that are going to go through middle school, high school, college or university, and then come and work for them. But they have to plant the seeds now, and they need to let people know that being a, uh, the, a mechanic, a plumber, or a pipe fitter is a very good profession available to you right here in the state. And you need to plant that seed early so that when these students are looking for jobs and careers, maybe they'll remember, hey, I could help make submarines. From an academic standpoint, an educational standpoint, you know, to be a plumber or an electrician or something like that requires skills that, you know, requires math skills, it requires hands-on skills, requires all sorts of skills that schools can give. And of course, there's the academic part of it, the whole math and science things, but then there's the whole trade component, which is how to work with your hands, how to work with tools, how to machine things, how to weld things, how to you know cut wood, how to, what are structural uh, components. And it, it's, so the, the point is there are opportunities for learning beyond the classroom. And what we really try and do at our events is to expose people, adults and children, in areas that they might find interesting that they've not seen before. Hopefully, many of them will go back to the classroom and say, you know, I saw this thing. Now I see where this applies. Um, right? This class I'm taking in art or this class I'm taking in music or this class I'm taking in math or engineering, I can see where that can be applied in real life, which at least for me, and I've seen this happen as, I, as I've been an educator, is when, when the students see the path, they see how this is going to be applied, it makes that path they're on much easier to traverse. And it leads to better outcomes. So Mark, um, do you, does Remarkable Steam, you're talking about the, the impact in the classroom, do you partner with students and schools in an intentional way? We, we reach out to all academics. In fact, we will give any student by him or herself that has a project, we'll give them a free booth. If they're just there showing off, this is what I did in my class, or this is what I did on my own, we will give them a free booth. Sometimes the, the district or the school will have a, a, a presence at, the, at our event. Uh, sometimes just the students will. This gives some of these more non-traditional classes that don't generally have the performance component 
to be able to take something that's in the classroom and then show it on a larger stage. So a school who gets a booth, what Mm -hmm. are some of the things that the school might do with their booth? What kinds of things are they showing? Oh, we had a whole bunch of things. We had, uh, I remember one time we had a a group of students that came in and they were growing different plants. So they, they brought the plants that they'd grown. Some actually brought some fruits and vegetables that had come from their garden. And I mean, that's always an amazing thing when somebody actually grows food for the I first time. It's that like they, a miracle. It, it absolutely is. Uh, we've had a lot of science. We've had the first robotics teams come. And in our, in our geography, probably within about a 30 mile radius, we have about five or six first robotics teams. So we've made a, what's called a play space, which is essentially like a dance floor, you know, about a 20 by 20 foot dance floor. Um, we put down a hard surface and then they have these robots that they've been working on all year long and they, they have kind of competitions with each other. And, you know, typically the, each team will have a table around the play space and they'll be working on, you know, tinkering their things. And of course they'll put the robot out there and it'll go bing and it won't work. And they'll have to haul it back and they'll have to fix it. And people will come and they'll say, they'll, they'll see the people working on those robots and they'll go, they're my age. You know, I can do that. Yeah, and, and that's one of the big ahas is that this is not something that you bought from Amazon, that you bring it home, you take it out of the box, you, you do it. These are people just like me doing something that I would like to do or that looks like fun. And because it's in person and it's human, which is very different than you know online YouTube videos, you can actually go over and talk to this person and say, and say or ask, how did you do that? They'll tell you and they'll show you and you know maybe they'll just come be part of our team that happens all the time the people in the booths the makers become rock stars integrating steam into cross-content learning can be so easy and engaging with resources from today's sponsor unreal engine by epic games hi my name is steve isaacs and i'm the education program manager at epic games Our goal on the education team is to provide resources and professional development opportunities to bring interactive 3D into the classroom with industry standard tools like Unreal Engine, Twinmotion, Sketchfab, and Fortnite Creative. Visit our education website at unrealengine.com slash unreal-futures to start your learning journey. You don't have to be an expert to teach with these tools. Let us help you get started. You'll also find Unreal Engine by Epic Games at edcuration.com. On their profile page, you can request a demo, ask a question, learn all about the resources, save them to your dashboard, and keep notes to help you make decisions about the best resources to fit your population, priorities, and budget. Visit us at EdCuration today. And now back to Mark. I I had a young man come to me one year. He'd he'd come to the event and he'd seen all this stuff. And he he said, you know, Mr. Matthias, I I did this project in, in school this year. Next year, can I have a booth to show it off to, the, to my friends? He yeah. did. So. And it's like, yeah, it's like this. We've made a difference in this student's life. Yes. He has something he's proud of. We gave him a stage to show it off. We are giving these, um, these, these students these opportunities to be seen, to be heard, to be validated, to be inspired. And frankly, that's what motivates me. I mean, I can tell that you're extremely passionate about it and it's so much fun to hear all the stories. Um, I'm so, and you've mentioned that 
um, it's a, it's an economic boost for the, for your area, for your town. It's, um, it's, there's our, you're partnering with schools in different ways. It's an opportunity, obviously, for the makers. What is the stated mission of, of the Maker Fair? Is it all of those things? (laughs) Uh, What did you set out to do? The the stated mission of Remarkable Steam is to close the education gap and create jobs. Got it. That's it. Um, And and that takes a lot of different forms. Mark, if you would talk to educators for a minute about, because as you're describing the Maker Fair and the excitement around it and the motivation for learning, I'm feeling like, but why can't learning just be like that Um, all the time in schools? So what can schools be doing to support more STEAM and interactive learning in greater ways? What have you learned from the Maker Faire that we can take? (laughs) Yeah, well, I think what we've learned is that, uh, to your point, I think a lot of people are now encouraging more hands-on learning. Uh, which 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 takes place through. In fact, a lot of a lot of schools now have what are called maker spaces in them, that have a lot of tools that typically were part of the shop classes. Although things like three D printers were never part of a shop class, but there are certainly good reasons why people can combine things. I'll give you an example. Um, there was a a class that was done. I believe it was actually done here in Westport, where they got um, the uh, drama department to work together with the art department to lay out the sets. You know, what are the sets going to be like for our next play? And the art department 3D printed a lot of the things to create a stage for the drama department to say, is this what you're looking like, looking for? So the students over here in the art department had to learn things like AutoCAD or uh, some of the technical things to be able to design these things that could then be used on a 3D printer to, to print out the stage so that when they showed them to the drama department, they said, yes, that's what we want, or no, that's not what we want. So what we're finding and what I'm encouraging people to do is, as you're a teacher, try and engage other educators in what your students are doing so that what you're doing applies to multiple courses. Yeah, that, so cross-content learning and more collaboration, it sounds like. Ex- exactly. And again, a lot of places are already doing that. What I'm seeing is that there are a lot of new tools out there. And of course, the technological tools for collaboration uh, are just you know blossoming uh, left and right. But what I'm finding is that the more you can get hands-on things with the students, where they're actually creating things that are tangible, that are requiring them to collaborate with other students uh, in other classes or even different grade levels um, really results in more motivation for the students and higher learning. Oh, rubber ducky, you're the one. You make Speaking of 3D printing and cross-content learning, one of my favorite stories that Mark shared from the Makers Fair was the Great Duck Project. This was a global art and engineering project to create the world's largest 3D printed duck. They took a diagram of a bathtub duck, blew it up to six feet tall, added wall thickness, and then digitally chopped it up into 476 individual pieces. People who signed up to participate received an email of an individual 3D printable file, and they printed the parts and then mailed them back to Mark's team. 
People from more than a dozen countries participated. In fact, the interest was so great that they had to create ducklings to handle the overflow. Each duckling was about 150 additional pieces. In all, they completed the giant duck and three ducklings. There are links to the project and pictures of the ducks in the episode notes. So much fun and a great idea for a school-hosted arts engineering spin-off project. You talked about this, the importance of resilience and a growth mindset with, in regards to failure. Um, Can you expand on what you would consider the really important qualities and characteristics of a successful innovator? What have you observed? I do want to emphasize failure is a necessary requirement of success. Yeah. And in fact, one of the things that there, there used to be a, uh, a conference called uh, like failures and it was all these people that got together to talk about their failures. That actually makes a very good topic for a, a stage where you have five or so people to talk about things that they did in their life that failed. And it could be they, they, successed, they succeeded at the end of it. But the, the point is, is that people need to understand and celebrate failures. And I encourage teachers when they have a student who's struggling to, and, and they're having a problem, talk about it in a way that says, you know, hey, over here, Johnny was the first one to, to fail. Atta boy, Johnny, you know? So good, so good. You know, I mean, I think we all adopted that there was that failure is not an option from, was it Apollo 13? It was, uh, yes. Yeah, the, and we all adopted it as like, yes, this is our American catchphrase. And then we realized, oh, wow, that's not really working for us. And it needs to change to failure is not only an option, it's a necessity. Right, and and going back to, to Apollo 13, they had a failure. Right. And, and they didn't give up. Yeah. Okay. They brought the guys back safely. Yeah. And, and that to me is the point is that just because something bad happens doesn't mean you give up something. Yeah. When something bad happens, you say, what am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I think a lot of people, because they, there's some sort of a stigma of, well, if I'm not good at it immediately, then I don't want to, I don't want to try. Yeah. And, and, and we need to ensure that people say, I am going to pursue, and by having them have that start, have that rough middle, and then hopefully a success at the end, they can talk about, then they go, you know, it doesn't have to be it. And I am a success because I persevered. Building that level of resilience and what Angela Duckworth, she calls grit in our students is, it's a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all still trying to figure out because we're having to shift our learning environment, our culture, and our messages around, around failure. And I, I think a lot of it comes from our grading practices, you know, but that's, that's a whole nother episode. Um, so I do <laughs> want to ask you one more thing. If there's an educator listening and who's thinking, well, I can't start, I'm a, you know, full-time teacher. I can't start a maker's fair in my town. I don't have the capacity for that, but how might I start something like this for my students or in my school? What would be the first step? What advice could you give them? Well, first of all, I would say, try it. Okay. It doesn't have to be a town-wide event. Have it be something where during lunch one day, uh, you put together a collection of 20 students that have worked on projects over the past you know, three or four months that just want to show it off. 
Okay. Um, it can be somewhat ad hoc. Uh, you, you may or may not invite, you know, people from outside the, the school, but this does not have to be a big thing. Uh, I mean, we buy radio and, and, uh, and internet advertising. You don't have to do that. Make a few posters, make some signs, um, have it be like it during lunch, try it out, see how it's received by your students. Mm -hmm. And if there are perhaps other schools in your district, uh, maybe there are two middle schools, then maybe one day you, you, your, your students from your middle school go to another middle school to show that off. And you get that sort of uh, affirmation from the other, other uh, schools. Uh, the high school students, this is amazing. You get high school students to come to a middle school. The high school students can show off what they've been doing at high school to the middle school kids. The middle school kids I really want to go to high school because they do cool stuff. Yeah, right. It gives them, um, it makes it a lot less scary for them. It does. And, and again, this is not a big budget thing. It doesn't have to be a big budget thing. It can be very low key. Uh, and frankly, I would think that working even with the PTA, there are a lot of resources that can be tapped on a, um, a free level. <laughs> and if, if you have, you know, two or three people coordinating this, um, it can happen very, very easily. You'll find links to connect with Mark, the Connecticut Makers Fair website, and the Great Duck Project in the episode notes. And now that you're all jazzed up about cross-content learning, creativity, and STEAM, you'll definitely want to check out our sponsor, Unreal Engine by Epic Games. Daniel Rollo from St. Clair Catholic School said, Having used the Fortnite Creative and Unreal Engine hour of code lessons with my 7th and 8th graders this year during remote learning, I would say that the content and lessons themselves are excellent for introducing students to fundamental concepts in computer science, such as conditionality, iteration and looping, and variables, in a context that is both familiar to students and highly engaging. You can learn about all that Epic Games and Unreal Engine has to offer at edcuration.com. And while you're there, check out the wide range of resources for every content area and grade level, along with free professional learning opportunities. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on your platform of choice and leave us a quick review or comment. This helps other educators find us. If you have a question or suggestion for the podcast, we'd love to hear it. We thank you for listening to the Ed Curation Podcast, and we hope you'll join us again next week.